0: The sexual revolution of the 1960s gave us Hugh Hefner and the Playboy philosophy. Today all of that is mild compared to Girls Gone Wild and the idea of friends with benefits. Whatever happened to one man with one woman for one lifetime? Jesus wasn't afraid to call out the stallions of lust living in the first century. In his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery begins in the head before it ever happens in the bed. It won't be easy, but it's time to leave Las Vegas and become a person of fidelity. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now.
1: You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian, thanks for stopping by. Well, Jesus gave a lot of hard sayings during his life and ministry. The one you just heard was one of the hardest. What did he mean? What are the implications for you and me? Answers come your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Undefeated, Overcoming the Deadly Sins That Drag You Down. Stay with us here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Atlantic Source Baptist Church, where he serves as lead pastor. Here's Ron and today's Something Good Radio message, Defeating Lust.
0: Well, during his run for the presidency, uh, Jimmy Carter made headlines when he sat down for an interview with Playboy magazine. Now, keep in mind, this was in October of 1976. (laughs) Things like this made headlines back then, maybe not so much today. But back then, the soon-to-be president said, and I quote, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This is something that God recognizes that I will do and have done, and God forgives me for it. Now, i got to appreciate President Carter's uh, honesty and his transparency, but I still, after all these years, find it a bit strange that somebody who claims to be a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and who is running for the presidency of the United States of America would give an interview to a magazine known for promoting a hedonistic lifestyle, an anti-Christian philosophy, and then would even go so far as to admit, quote, that I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I give the president courage, and, and, or other uh, applause for his courage and his honesty and his transparency. He also said in the interview that he believed Jesus created a standard that was unattainable. Uh, Well, did He? Did Jesus say something in His Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that is unattainable for we as human beings to achieve? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ladies, we could could flip the uh, gender pronouns there and say that any a woman who looks at a man with lustful intent has also committed adultery in his heart. Is that a standard too high? Did Jesus go too far? Um, that was Jimmy Carter's assessment back in 1976. Uh, we all know that Jesus was not into the kind of showy religion that the uh, phony Pharisees put on display. He, he drilled deeply into the issues of the heart. We saw this last week, for example, when he said, You have heard that it was said, you shall not kill. But I say to you, and then he he defined anger as murder in the heart. Wow, that'll, that'll put you back a few steps, won't it? But he was raising the bar on righteousness. He had already said that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees that were all into show and a phony display of religiosity. Now Jesus exposes adultery as having its roots in lust. Something that is easily hidden in the deep recesses of the human heart. I sometimes wonder how the men 2,000 years ago, back in the first century, might have received what Jesus said. Did they raise their eyebrows? Did they whisper among themselves? Did they think to themselves, I'm never going to get this one right? (laughs) Never. I mean, if that's the standard, I'm going to fail all the time. Uh, The Jews knew the commandments well, didn't they? They even knew this one about adultery. They had the tablets from Sinai drilled into their heads from early childhood. Uh, They heard them in the synagogue. They heard them at home. They heard them at school. Everyone knew about the prohibition against adultery, but I I just suspect that their ears perked up just a little bit when they heard Jesus suggest there's more to this commandment than meets the eye. And he raises it to the level of of something as dark as and as insidious and as hidden as lust in the heart. Well, I'm in a series of messages called Undefeated, uh, how to overcome the deadly sins that drag us down. And we've been talking about a a list that appeared uh, many centuries ago, back in the 6th century. Pope Gregory was the first to sketch it out, seven deadly sins. It's gone through some revisions over the time, but uh, they include pride, Anger, lust, laziness, gluttony, envy, and greed. And throughout this series, we've said that we, you know, we want to we end up undefeated. We want to defeat pride. We want to defeat anger. Today, we want to defeat lust. We want to experience an undefeated season. We want to go 7-0. We've said that to do that, we've got to look to Jesus, who is the undefeated one. He was the one who on the cross said, it is finished. It was a victory cry. He didn't say, I am finished, they got me. No, he says, it is finished. The plan and the purpose of God was completed. The victory had been won. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this after waxing eloquently about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, he won the victory. And that victory is ours as believers in Jesus Christ. But how do do we live an undefeated life? How do do we go from singing, oh, victory in Jesus, to actually experiencing it in our day-to-day life, even as we struggle with pride, anger, lust, laziness, gluttony, envy, and greed? Uh, We are more than conquerors in Jesus, we said in week one. But we've come come to week four, to, to this particular deadly sin called lust, And and this one maybe uh, gets us uh, more than any other. Uh, Let's define it. What is lust? According to the dictionary, it is an intense sexual desire or appetite, one that is uncontrolled or illicit in its desire. And again, Jesus Jesus said that, that lust is adultery in the heart. He takes it to that level. He dares to do so. Some, like President Carter, would say, it's a standard that is unattainable. I'm never going to get this one right. Is that true? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But just as back in the 6th century and the centuries that followed, um, these… Deadly sins and these vicious vices, as we've called them, were often laid aside or laid alongside the heavenly virtues. What are the heavenly virtues that correspond to this deadly sin called lust? Well, one we can talk about is, is fidelity. Fidelity comes to my mind. I bet you haven't heard that word in a while. It's, uh, it means to, uh, to be faithful to obligations, duties, or observances. It speaks of one's loyalty and the keeping of a trust or a promise. Fidelity in marriage is something we need to pursue in order to counteract uh, the deadly sin, the vicious vice called lust. I remember years ago I invested some of my money with Fidelity Investments. You know, it's a well-known investment firm and, and they do a pretty good job. I like their historical returns. I like their investment philosophy. But I also like their name because it suggested to me that they were keeping a trust when they managed my money. Fidelity in marriage suggests I'm keeping a trust a covenant that I've made with my wife or my husband, and uh, we're pursuing fidelity even in marriage. By today's slipping standards, fidelity seems old-fashioned and prudish, especially when applied to marriage, but fidelity is exactly what a marriage needs to survive the sex-saturated world in which we live. Uh, lust and all the images that we come in contact with every day remind me of a, of a minefield. You know, you, you, don't, you don't dare just rush into the field. You might step on a mine and blow your leg off or your arm off. And so uh, the world today is, is filled with lusty images everywhere, maybe even more so than in the first century when Jesus highlighted this. seems like everywhere we go. You know, we're drawn in by provocative images. I remember years ago when we lived in Houston, Texas at that time, the third largest city in America now, or the fourth largest, I think now it's the third largest, but it's a city of billboards. Everywhere you travel on the freeways that crisscross the city, there's billboards, one billboard after another. And it, it wasn't unusual to, you know, catch some lusty image because sex sells, right, out of the corner of your eye. You couldn't even drive down the freeway without the image bombarding you. Now you have sex selling across the media platforms, including books and magazines, billboards, television, the Internet. It's like a minefield everywhere you go. Watch where you step, watch where you click. Fidelity in marriage. You say, well, Pastor, I'm not married. Okay, I'm married. Okay, here's another word, Purity. Uh, Purity is another virtue we can and should drop into the conversation uh, to counter the the deadliness of something like lust. Single adults need to lasso their passions with purity until matrimony. And then within marriage, enjoy uh, the gift of sex that God has given with fidelity. Can I say that again? Single adults need to lasso their passions with purity until matrimony, and then enjoy sex within the bounds of marriage while maintaining uh, fidelity.
1: Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Defeating Lust. If you're new to the program, we want you to know that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage and check out the 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can share these Internet and radio broadcasts the whole year through. Join the 828 Club right from our website or call us at 757-276-1099. That's 757-276-1099 every good thing god creates satan tries to pervert sex is no different here's ron and the rest of today's something good radio message defeating lust Uh, before we go any further into
0: this subject let's just remember that marital love is a gift from god Uh, sex is is a good thing when it's enjoyed within the context for which The Lord intended it. Hebrews 13 and verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. God created sex, and He gave us sexual desires. Sex was God's idea, not Hugh Hefner's. And it certainly wasn't Satan's idea. Uh, Lust is the devil's perversion of a beautiful gift from God meant to be enjoyed within the marriage relationship. And for that reason, the Bible comes with all kinds of warnings, not not because the Bible is prudish, not because the Bible is not in keeping with the times, no, because the Bible understands the minefield that we walk in and the dangers of uh, exploring our sexual desires outside of the proper context. For example, in Proverbs chapter six, Solomon compared sex with a fire. He asks, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. What Solomon is saying here is simple enough for a child to understand. If you play with fire, it will burn you. Keep the fire in the fireplace where it belongs and it will warm your home. Well, the same is true with sex. If you enjoy it within the context for which it was created, which is the marriage relationship, enjoy it, and it will warm your relationship and your experience in your home. You play with it outside of that context. It will burn you every time. It will scar your soul. And this is the, uh, the warning of Scripture. Before we get to some ways to defeat lust... And that's where we ultimately want to go. We want to have a game plan for defeating this deadly sin. Let's talk a little bit about a negative example in Scripture of someone whose life was uh, hindered, if not destroyed, by uncontrollable lust. I'm talking about a guy named Samson. Remember Samson in the Old Testament? His story is recorded in Judges chapters 13 through 16. Of all the judges in the Old Testament, and these, these judges were kind of a combination of uh, spiritual leaders and political figures at the same time, and, but of all the judges mentioned in the book of Judges, Samson gets the most editorial space, 13 through 16. And, and we, we learn about his birth and his parents who longed for a child there in chapter uh, 13. But, but Samson, Samson is the strongest man in the Bible. All right. I mean, this guy had muscles in places that we didn't even know we, we had places. I mean, he, he was just a, a strong man. Some people describe him as a he-man with a she-weakness. He was strong physically, but he, he was weak when it came to controlling his passions. And the first indication we get of this is in chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. A lot of cultural things going on in, in this text, one of which is back then uh, it would have been common for Samson's parents to arrange a marriage they were looking to marry their son to uh, another Israelite, another Hebrew, uh, the, uh, someone who was part of the, uh, the community of faith that they were a part of. But here in verse 1 it says, Samson went down to Timnah. It was not only a geographic reference, but it was a reference to the downward trajectory of his life from this point forward. He went down to Timnah, and he allowed his eyes to uh, wander into enemy territory, He saw with his eyes a Philistine woman, and he said in his heart and later to his parents, get her for me. I want her. And this is the first indication that that Samson's desire for women is just a little off tilt. He's let his eyes wander into enemy territory. Later in chapter 16 and verse 1, and this is the most uh, notorious of Samson's story. Uh, it says that Samson went to Gaza. Remember the, the Gaza Strip? Have you ever heard of the Gaza Strip today? It's in the news quite a bit. Well, that was Philistine territory. And he says he went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. Okay? First he let his eyes wander into enemy territory. Now he's physically there, and he sees a prostitute, and he... indulges himself. Of course, the prostitute is Delilah. Samson and Delilah. I mean, what an infamous story. Nobody names their daughters Delilah, and there's a reason for that. She's a woman of the night, and she tempts Samson, and it's an easy temptation. And she wonders, as some of her friends wondered, what Samson's, you know, what was the secret to his strength? And Samson loved to toy with people, you know. He loved to love to kind of um, deceive them into believing that the secret was this or the secret was that. And he does this with Delilah night after night. And she was in cahoots with the Philistine. She was a Philistine woman herself. And, and, and she's trying to set him up for an attack. And finally, he, he tells her what the secret to his strength is. He says, um, I took a Nazarite vow from the day I was born. And this takes us back to verse, or to chapter 13. And the Nazarite vow had to do with um, uh, the length of his hair, that a razor would never cut his hair or never touch his hair, that he would never allow his lips to touch the fruit of the vine. He would not drink alcohol, and and maybe some other uh, stipulations as well. He he would not uh, uh, come in contact with a dead carcass. Uh, Throughout Samson's life, he, he violated his Nazarite vow several times. But he's playing with Delilah here, and finally he says, well, the secret to my great strength is my hair. If somebody cuts my hair, I lose my strength. Well, he fell asleep that night. And the Bible says um, that while Delilah learned about Samson's long hair and his his Nazarite vows, she sent word to the Philistine rulers who came back that night and cut off Samson's hair. And they subdued Samson. And then Delilah calls out before and says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And then what follows are some of the saddest words found anywhere in the Bible. It says, Samson awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him.
1: You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. And today's message, Defeating Lust, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, be sure to check out a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. Look for Something Good courses at the top of the homepage when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Is the Bible intimidating for you to
0: read? Do you need someone to help guide you through God's Word? Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time, but let's face it. It can also be a challenge to read because it contains more than 600,000 words, two testaments, and 66 different books. But how does it all fit together? How do we clearly understand God's continuous story from Genesis to Revelation? That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Volume 1, based on the 39 books of the Old Testament, is now available, and I'd like to send you a copy. Here's Brian with
1: details. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip to the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, is now available. For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The digital library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 e-books. To pre-order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, I'm sure many of our listeners are looking forward to reading this important book. I know I am. Talk about some of the challenges you faced as you put this project together and tell us why this two-volume book can be such a great resource for those listening right now. Brian,
0: I knew the ultimate road trip through the Bible would be a pretty big challenge to write as a two-volume set. As challenging to write as the Bible is intimidating for some people to read. But it was truly a labor of love, as is reading God's Word from Genesis to Revelation. I'm hopeful that these resources will show the readers just how beautifully the whole of the Bible fits together into an inspired and unified love letter from God to every member of His
1: creation. Thanks Pastor Ron, stop by somethinggoodradio.org to order volume one of this great resource for your gift of $30 or more, or call our offices at 757-276-1099. And if you'd like to mail your check, our address is PO Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. I'm looking forward to the
0: day when heaven is a place where the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life doesn't smack me in the face every day when I get up. But this is what we're facing. We're we in a, 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 a spiritual minefield as we get up in the morning, as we walk out into the world. The enemy of our soul is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. My mate is not my enemy. My pastor is not my enemy. My politician is not my enemy this is my enemy the world the flesh the
1: devil that's next time in part two of dr ron jones message more than conquerors join us then for something good for ron and the entire team here at something good radio i'm brian davis saying so long and thanks for listening